Adventures Episode 3, which is a Toshi Station Network podcast. I'm Seth, and with me is Megan. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the usual things. We're going to be talking about the books we've been reading, the games we've been playing, some Star Wars stuff, like the Rogue One teaser that just came out. And our big topic this week is the Rebels finale, because it sure was something. So to start us <laughs> off... <laughs> Sorry, Megan. I, no, I wasn't... See, the Rebels finale left me so, like, confused and interested that I don't even know what to say about it, so I was just going to make noises. I'll have words later. <laughs> That's fair. You've got time. Um, so to start us off this week, we're going to be talking about the books we've been reading. Megan, what have you been reading this week? So I have started reading a new author that I really like called Catherine Valenti. And the book that I finished this week was called Deathless, which was a reimagining of a Russian folktale. And uh, I've read two books by her so far, one called Radiance, which was set in an alternate 1950s in which um, humans have colonized the solar system, but there is no sound in movies. And then um, Deathless was about Kashi the Deathless, which is a sort of Russian spirit and his... uh, wife i guess but it's i'd say a very feminist retelling of the story of this woman who gets captured and taken away to this very detailed very baroque russian fairyland um it's really dark it's really sensual it's a lot more of a i wouldn't call it a romance novel because it's kind of about two people that use each other and are bound to each other without there being much love in it but it's beautifully written, and I'm looking to buy everything Cat Valenti has ever written. She uh, has a couple books out from small presses that I'm trying to dig up because they look amazing. So I would recommend that. I think I've heard of her before. The name sounds really familiar. She did one called The Girl Who Navigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making, which is her most famous one and which I have not read. I think I've heard of that, yeah. I... I'm keen to re- check her out, actually. That sounds really interesting, what you were describing. I, I really liked it. She seems to run the gamut from, I think, the fairyland is technically young adult, I think, to to these things that, like, deal with, um, you know, very adult, you know, war and sexuality things and, and are sort of for a, a more uh, literary audience. I think she does a really good job of combining literary and fantasy. And also... She is on my list, a list that I haven't made yet, but that I'm slowly compiling of books you should read if you want to be a better fan fiction writer. Um, right now it's just her and John Gardner, but <laughs> it's it's a great example of how, oh, and Neil Gaiman's on that list too, probably, um, of how to take, you know, source material, this fairy tale, and turn it into something really weird and interesting and literary. Yeah, that's a really good thing to look at. Because a lot of people do take fairy fairy tale things and stories that have existed before, and then try and twist them, and don't really succeed successfully. Like it kind of just turns into like a cliched mess or something. So to see people using it originally is always really interesting. Yeah, and I think part of it too was that she pulls from these Russian folk tales. Apparently, I think her husband was Russian, and so she could talk to his family about the stories that they knew. So part of it. Part of what was different about it was that it was not like your Grimm's fairy tales. It was a different sourcing from a different cultural source. But it was also just so well written. That's 
really cool. Um, mine has been far less um, beautiful, I guess. I'm not really sure because I've been reading nonfiction still. Um, I've been I got the game narrative toolbox for my birthday, which is basically a book about becoming a narrative designer and how to for games, obviously, um, and how to do good game narrative. And Happy belated birthday! Thank you, thank you. Um, it was my birthday on the second. It was a good day. But yeah, Yay. I got this book, um, and it includes things. The people who've written for it are a bunch of different game narrative people from different areas. So there's Tobias Hursner, Toya Kristen Finley, Jennifer Brands Hepler, and Anne LeMay. And I know of two of them because I think they've been involved with Bioware, and I love Bioware stuff. Um, yeah, it's been a really interesting read. It kind of lays out what a narrative designer is, what a narrative designer has to do, the different ways that they're used in companies, because different game companies have different needs for narrative designers and how they expect them to act. And then it gives you a lot of exercises throughout the books to, throughout the entire book, to work up, um, I guess, examples of your own work that you could use to then apply to companies if you want to be a narrative designer. And it kind of teaches you good ways to go about that role, which is really good because that's what I want to do. So this book is amazing and I love it. And anyone who wants to get into narrative design for games should definitely read this book. It is top notch. That's really cool. I've, I know I've looked at some of how, like, when, if you want to apply to be a Bioware writer, you need to do, um, you know, write in that certain format. And it's always a little intimidating. So I'm, I've not even done the 101 of this, but that sounds very interesting. I actually um, applied for a Bioware writing position last year, I think. And you basically had to create an outline, an, an interactive outline through Twine or something that was based off of one of their existing franchises. So it's taking their work and then making it into something interesting that they'd want to play. I didn't get the job, obviously, but it was a really fun exercise to do. So if that's something that someone wants to get into, doing those kinds of things and practicing it and learning from your mistakes is a good way to get to that point that you could apply for that job and get it successfully. And it's interesting that games, sort of like comics, they expect you to work with existing franchises and existing characters. Yeah, because a lot of the time you'll be working on sequels or, yeah, IP that already exists. And a lot of it is also, for game narrative designers at least, is working cooperatively with other people within the company. So you've got to work with the art designers and the programmers and all that kind of stuff. Because a narrative designer isn't just a writer. They could also be a writer, but a games writer doesn't bring everything together. The narrative designer has to hold the story together, basically, and make sure everybody's on the same page and all working towards that story, which seems really overwhelming, really. <laughs> but it sounds like fun, really. Yeah, there's that franchise management element of it as well. Yeah, there's a lot of communication. You've got to have good communication for a job like that, apparently. So hopefully I do. And maybe one day I'll get a job like that. But for now, this book is really fun to read. Cool, cool. Um, my other book that I finished recently was also a, a fiction. And I kind of wanted to talk about it partially because it was originally a sort of self-promoted or self-published book. Um, I finished the, the Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, which may have been the one that you saw us talking about on Twitter that had the lesbian lizard. Yep. Although we should not call her a lizard because it's very rude to her species. <laughs> um, it is, um, 
It is uh, very Firefly inspired. It was described in the back like it had, uh, I don't remember if it was like the questions for a book club or if it was the author's notes herself, but she described it as a comfort novel. And I think it is. It was It was very sweet. I wouldn't have said it was exceptionally, uh, it wasn't a difficult book. Um, but it was a good found family thing. And if you like Firefly, it's basically Firefly. And the lizard, the uh, she's an andrisk is the name of the species. She was my favorite anyway, so I was glad that she got a lot of screen time. I'm always here for like lesbian alien characters. <laughs> I didn't. That's, that's just me. I didn't expect it. Well, because her species is framed almost like the Asari, where they have gender. There are male and female andrisks, but they are completely um, sort of blind to gender or blind to human notions of sexuality so they're much more open about be like touching one another and being what humans would consider intimate with anyone and they kind of have to rein that in around people that aren't of their species and I think that can be done badly you know you can have and I think you see this in games a lot characters that are that are um portrayed in a sort of sexual way but in a way that is more objectifying than actually about their culture like it's it's yeah the asari definitely are an example yeah. of that um yeah the whole mono gendered like hot alien babes but you know they, they don't have a gender but they are all woman kind of thing um yeah also you see it with the, the twi'leks as well a little bit um, and I yeah. I didn't I didn't want that, but I thought the Andrisks were because they're not they don't look human at all. And she the author goes a little bit more into like what does that actually mean for their society? And they're not just there for humans to look at like they have their own society. And it you know your mileage may vary, but I thought if anybody was going to do that particular trope right, this book did it pretty right. I might have to read that because I want to kind of play around, around with that trope in my own novel. So seeing it done right in other novels would be really good. So I'm going to definitely put that on the list. Yeah, check it out. A friend recommended it to me. It was pretty quick. Um, it was it was fun. It has some cool AI stuff too. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> or at least it it has some AI stuff. So I'm, I'm always there for AI stuff. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, but speaking of games, since we just mentioned them, what have you been playing this week? So I've gone back to Destiny with a vengeance, and <laughs> it's actually kind of sad because it's not like I'm like doing anything new in Destiny. I was playing, I played with friends for a while, and then I was like, I got some new quest lines, which was cool. But the other day, I was just like, all I want to do is just shoot stuff for like three hours. So. I got this quest that was just like go out and wreck everything in Destiny and put music on and just played it and didn't think about anything and it was wonderfully therapeutic. I'm still not at like the light level I should be. Um, I'm glad for some of the some of the updates coming up are gonna make it easier for me to get to a higher light level, I think. But I wasn't even I wasn't even there for that. I was just like, I just wanna be in this world and have fun with it so that that's been cool and i'm still i'm looking forward to that update next next week yeah honestly sometimes i just put on halo and just blast through because it is kind of therapeutic just to play those games and just not think about anything else they're very 
linear in a way like they may not be linear stories but you know you just kind of go through and you shoot and you finish quests and it's nice yeah well it's it, it you feel like you're making progress on something even if you're not necessarily making progress on something i'm sure i'm sure you've heard the cleaning theory of first person shooters no i haven't i think I don't remember who said this. I probably got it from Lee Alexander because I get most of my, like, game knowledge from her. But um, the idea is somebody postulated that the sort of satisfaction you get from playing a first-person shooter is the same satisfaction you get as cleaning up a room because you're making sure everything's in its place. Essentially, the, the bad guys are, like, a mess, and you're picking them all up and removing them from the room, and you... the the reward is that you see you can see your progress very clearly and you can see that you have effectively like opened up a space for yourself and it's yeah. a sort of organizational comfort to it and i i would agree with that yeah that makes a lot of sense the feeling you get when you've like finished a mission destroyed all the targets and everything it does have a very similar feeling because everything is kind of in its place and nice so i definitely understand that um I've also been replaying a game. I've been replaying Firewatch, which you think wouldn't have much replay value, but I just <laughs> love the game. <laughs> I, I love that you wrote Firewatch, ha ha ha, in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to. I need to play it. You do. I really love it. I've been playing it through. I've been trying to find like everything because even though it's quite a short narrative game, the world, the the map area is there's like Easter eggs and like notes you can find about side characters you don't ever see and kind of learn more about the world somewhat um apparently there's a mass effect easter egg somewhere and i am determined to find it oh I wait remember... do you know what it what it is or have, have you not no seen clue it what it is because i haven't looked it up because i want to find it myself but i do know like a week after the game came out only one person had found it so i'm sort of anxious about that i feel like oh, more probably found it now um but i also because i love twine games and because the opening of firewatch is very it's basically somebody said that it is what twine game writers should aim for like it's got the kind of you've got the branching choices and you've got a really emotional impact and so i was kind of replaying it and listening to the dialogue throughout the game to get a better idea of game writing personally um, and I also just love the world. It's so pretty. It's so good to just wander around in. If you've had kind of a bad day, you just go into it, you just walk around and just look at things, because it's just gorgeous, and I love it so much. <laughs> the lighting in that game is beautiful, and the choice of color. It is, and lighting is my favorite thing in the real world, too. Like, if I'm walking along and somebody's, like, walking with me, they'll get really annoyed, because if the sun's at the right point, I'll just stop every five minutes just to stare at trees and the way <laughs> the light comes through the trees, because I just love it. It's my favorite thing. Well, you're a you're a photographer too. Like you do photography sometimes, so you have artistic reason to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I say. But really, it's just it's just me <laughs> thinking it's very pretty. <laughs> that's me with birds, though. I'll stop someone and say, "Look, there's a finch or something." Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a friend like that here. It's so cute. <laughs> so anyway, Firewatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not all I've been playing. I've also been playing... Well, I played it because it's also a short narrative game. I played Leave Oma, which is a game that just came out. Um, it's by Florian Veltman. So it's a, it's a small indie game. And it's basically a love letter to his grandmother. It's gorgeous. Like, it's a really cute little game with a cute style. It's very short. It's about an hour or maybe under to play. Um, and... 
yeah, basically you play this child and their grandmother is with them and has asked them to come out and pick mushrooms with their grandmother because she wants to make a stew or something. I can't remember exactly what she wanted to make. Um, and so the kid doesn't really want to go out because, you know, like it's hanging out with family members and it's going to do stuff outside. Like nobody wants to do that, really. Um, and so you've kind of got this kid that is sort of not really wanting to be there and not really wanting to talk and the grandmother is trying to make them open up and talk to them about their life and their problems and so basically it's a very short narrative game and it's very heavily character based obviously because you only have two characters and it's it's quite beautiful it's very realistic in the way the two characters interact with each other and how they talk and it's it's also really hopeful like it kind of touches on some dark things like it touches on um i think immigration it, it feels like it with the grandmother and also like drifting away from people you love and struggling with things feeling unfair when you're a kid or even when you're an adult and despite that it's still really light and hopeful and it's gorgeous and it's really cheap as well so if you want to play like a sweet little game about loving family it's a good game to play now you <laughs> said it's gorgeous i've not heard of this one what kind of art style does it have it's quite a simple little art style it's kind of cartoony very bright and colorful it's basically the two characters they're very simplistic designs but and i like that the main character kind of has an ambiguous gender which is always yeah nice. i was gonna ask about that i think because it because it kind of seems autobiographical in a way like i feel like it might be a boy because of the designer being a guy but it also i don't think they make it clear within the game which is really cool so you kind of have this gender ambiguous character and the design for them is really cute. And when they run, they kind of tilt forward a little bit. And it's just, it's so cute. I love it. I just made them run around in circles because I just adored it. Um, and the world is quite cartoony and a very, yeah, bright, bright world with lots of trees and flowers. And it's just so pretty. So speaking of things that are adorable, the other thing that I've been playing is Ori and the Blind Forest, which is a platformer that came out a couple of years ago. It got some awards a couple of years ago. Um, I have just been playing it super slowly. Um, it's not that I, like, I, I'll put it down for several months and then pick it up again. And I'm, I'm at like 52%. I'm going through this game at a glacial play, uh, pace, but I'm enjoying it. It is, you play as a little creature like a cat-like creature and it's um it's a puzzle game and part of what I like about it is that it's difficult but it always gives you a sense of progression like I can it's reminds me of Portal in that way which is one of my favorite games you always get the feeling like the, the answer is right you're right at the edge of it so it's never quite too frustrating but it's always challenging and um, it's it's very pretty as well. I'm only now at the halfway point getting to some really weird things they do with the world where, like, you can... Uh, there's almost magnetism, and you have to figure out how to move in a whole different way when your character is basically magnetized to something. Um, so it's been it's been fun. Have you played that one? No, but it's been on my Steam wishlist for, like, ages. I think since it came out, potentially, and I just never got around to buying it because <laughs> I'm useless at that. Oh, well, I, I definitely like it. I mean, <laughs> this is coming from the person who... Well, see, actually, I have a defense for myself slightly. Um, the reason I have been so slow with it is because I actually got stuck. There's a point where you basically fall down a hole, and if you don't have enough keys when you... Or if you don't have enough 
I didn't have enough of the uh, like the energy points, I think. When you fall in the hole, you're just kind of stuck because you can't do what you need to do to get out. And I looked this up. I'm 90% sure that I was super stuck. And so I, I restarted with the idea of sort of preparing myself better before I got to that point. So I did... I haven't been just going on one playthrough this whole time. That but, makes sense. I always get frustrated yeah. when games have a point that you can get that stuck in. Like, there's no way to fix it. There were a couple, and I mean, this is from years ago, so I'm sure it's not quite as accurate anymore if there have been updates or anything, but there were a couple points where people on forums were saying, just be careful around this area because the puzzle is not quite perfectly made. Like, you can potentially get stuck in here. So I'm, I'm nervous about that. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's a lot of fun. The puzzles are super creative, and I like it too because I just like creatures. Like, the, the creature you play as is adorable and moves in a really interesting, natural way. And then the, the villain is this giant owl which is really cool <laughs> yeah i think i wanted to pick it up because i saw trailers of it potentially and it looked really pretty and i'm just a sucker for pretty games like i don't care what they actually are if they look pretty i'm just gonna want it like i've had i think the banner saga in my wish list for ages as well because it just looks really pretty but whenever i actually look at the gameplay i'm like i don't think i want to play that i just want to <laughs> look at it <laughs> that i just had that experience recently because on twitter i was looking i was just on twitter and they somebody posted about the new gears of war game and i've never played gears of war i'm not interested in that franchise but every time i look at it just like the boxes are so pretty because they're my aesthetic they're like the super soldier ridiculous sci-fi guns aesthetic but they are have... really fun games are they see i <laughs> yeah I've, I've never gotten into them I have, have you read the novels i have not actually i think i mean i because i haven't really gotten into the games i played them a couple times because i have a friend that's really into them so i went to her house and she's like you like halo you'll like this and it's it's a very different game to halo like you can't really say that and i don't love it but it is really fun to play with a friend all right. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I'm... Sorry. I'll go ahead. No, no, you go. It's fine. <laughs> this was me deciding whether or not to go on about the aesthetic of Gears of War. Because <laughs> <laughs> Gears of War is so, it's like, it's gritty, quote, which is such a loaded word now. Because they have, like, the the gun chainsaws and the characters just don't, like, Halo has a sort of, uh sort of bullish optimism to it like destiny has outright optimism like destiny might as well be sparkling at some point um <laughs> whereas halo is like military is like propagandist optimism and then to me gears of war always felt like that's pessimism like it's dark would you agree with that yeah i kind of get that feeling like you you have these super strong characters you're playing as and you know you can kind of kill anything but the entire world just feels really grim yeah, and I, I don't know, I never really, I, I like the look, like, the main characters look cool, but nothing about their personalities grabbed me. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Um, moving on, though, to something else that is also optimistic. Star Wars Rebels, no, Star Wars Rogue One, actually. The trailer dropped this morning. Um, I woke up at, like, 3am because I needed a drink, and then my mind just 
before I was even like, I need water. My mind was like, Star Wars is out. Go watch a Star Wars trailer. Um, <laughs> I, I saw you on Twitter and I was like, why? What time is it for her? Why is she awake? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mean because I think I got to like 11 p.m. And I was like, no, nah, I'm too tired. I'm not going to make it till the trailer comes out. So I just went to sleep. And I totally meant to watch it like when I woke up at the average time in the morning. But because I woke up for a drink and I was like I need to watch Star Wars right now it's the most important thing to me and I'm really glad I did because it's such a good teaser what did you think about it well I um I watched it after I'd been at work for a little while I, I didn't rush because I was you know I wasn't as sure about this one as I'm sure about episode eight um I liked it so I, there was definitely nothing wrong with it. I'm not super hyped about it, and I don't even know why. I think I really like the look of uh, Felicity Jones' character. I think we don't know a lot about her yet, but that doesn't mean anything. All that means is we don't know a lot about her yet. Um, I think some of it looks really cool. Donnie Yen, like, smacking a stormtrooper looks fantastic, but I'm still more excited for episode eight. I think that's fair, and I think because we've had The Force Awakens, we kind of are more built up to be more excited for 8. I'm definitely super excited for Rogue One because, once again, it's like space military stuff, and I'm a sucker for that, even if it's ground fighting, which it will be. And I just love the lady characters so much, so like the moment I saw Felicity Jones' character in action, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in love with her. And seeing Mon Mothma got me so excited, because I didn't even think about the fact she'd be in it. Everyone was talking about you know, Tarkin or Vader or whatever. And nobody actually thought about the fact that Mon Mothma might be in the movie. And the fact that she is, and it's the same actress from the cutscene from episode uh, three. I can't remember what her actress's name is. I know, I love that. <laughs> but I love that they brought her in and she looks perfect for it. So I'm really excited that Mon Mothma is back and that she's like, I don't know, she's there in that era, I guess. They haven't forgotten about her, which is hard to do because she's a main part of the rebel alliance yeah it's hard to do but it's not out of the realm of possibility like i think if if this movie had this trailer had come out or even this movie had come out and mon mothma was not a main part of it i don't think anyone would be surprised really yeah um i so nancy from tashi station pointed out this morning that the trailer passes the bechdel test and i love that like that's that's brave um i'm a little scared that those are going to be the only two women in the entire movie because I know a lot of the cast are, are men but I like what we've seen so far and I think that like it's amazing how people didn't speculate about Mon Mothma and I include myself in there I, I didn't either I thought like she's there for Return of the Jedi she's got to be behind the scenes somewhere in the rebellion but I mean, why wouldn't she be the, the one on the front lines in Rogue One? It, it makes so much sense. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't think about that either because I love her so much. And the fact that I didn't once wonder if she'd be in Rogue One. Like, why didn't I do that? What was wrong with me? Yeah, but, yeah why, why didn't any of us? We were just <laughs> sort of, I mean, I'm sure someone out there did. But yeah. I feel like I was like mind tricked away from Mon Mothma because I don't know. Because sexism? I don't know. Maybe. I'm kind of okay with that because seeing her was just such a wonderful surprise that if I'd been like, she has to be in here, then it would have just been like, oh, there she is. Thank God they did it. So it's kind of nice seeing her and being like, oh, this is amazing. She's here. It, it's a nice feeling. But also, um, speaking of the female characters, apparently, from what I've heard, there's also like 
somebody else got cast as well, like kind of in a minor role, like another woman. I can't remember who it is for the life of me. So there may be three female characters. <laughs> At least three. I know I'm going to be looking in all the crowd scenes going, where are the... Where are the lady soldiers? And also, where's Twilight Company? But Yeah, I'm going to be looking for Twilight Company, I'm not going to lie. I would also like them to bring in non-white ladies, because they're doing, like, you can see they've got diversity with the men, but there's always the white ladies, so I'm like, come on, Star Wars, you're, you're so close. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It would be nice to see more diversity in that way as well. They're doing so well, but doing well in one regard doesn't mean that they have to do poorly in another regard yeah so do you have any rumors for like or theories rather for who that admiral guy might be my first thought was that he's the same guy that sloan talks to in aftermath yeah but but he seems to be quite old even at the time of rogue one not like he's not it would not be impossible for him to still be alive at the end of return of the jedi it's only i think it's a, the, the original trilogy lasts three years. It's not that much time. But um, I don't know. But that was my first thought. Yeah, I had the same thought when I when I saw people calling him a Grand Admiral. Um, yes. I was which... like, oh, is it the guy from the book? And then I was like, wait, is that too far in the future? Would he be dead? What's going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, we don't know how old he is exactly or what kind of technology they're going to go with in the in the new movies about whether people can live longer. I um, I mean, other than that, I feel like he's just going to be a new character, a new character that can be set up both for a rise and for a fall. And maybe maybe he's an Imperial with a perspective we haven't seen before or an Imperial with a with sort of sympathy we've never seen before like that guy was obviously around during the fall of the republic like what does he think he's fighting for you know yeah that's and a really also good point um also why is he okay with dragging his cape in the mud <laughs> sometimes he's gotta get your cape in the mud i really like that shot though with his <laughs> cape like floating in the water oh my god this movie looks like it's going to be gorgeous like the aesthetic is just on point it's it's my kind of aesthetic um that was was really cool. It's a very muddy movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, my, one of my friends suggested that like it could be a character inspired by Rom Mock, who I don't know, but he was in Jedi Outcast, and he was in charge of a r- rival project to the Death Star. And basically, he was making the Dark Troop Dark Troopers, who were the cyborg stormtroopers, who I have heard of before. And I think he got the idea because there are those weird looking troopers, like with the. The weird helmets. Oh yeah, that's vaguely familiar. Yeah, which would be cool if they did something like that. I don't know if they will, but that would be really interesting to have opposing imperial factions in that way. Like having internal imperial politics as kind of a big thing would be really cool because I, I always love politics. Yeah, and we do see two imperial figures. We see the person in the black cloak and the person in the white cloak. Yeah, and that would be really interesting to have those two facing against each other as well as the rebels and having like two evil guys and one wears white and one wears black because Star Wars has always been quite on the nose with the colors that the characters wear yeah the white I mean I thought that too the white we've seen on imperial um officers before 
but I don't think we've seen it in a, a character this central before. Presumably that he's central anyway. Yeah, I'd assume so since he seems to play such a big role in the teaser. I did like that look at those new troopers. There were the, the troopers with the really elongated black masks, and then there were the troopers who were like on a tank, and there were AT-ATs. There's all kinds of new Imperial stuff. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see everything new they put in. I think the troopers that you see with the elongated helmets is really similar ones in the Force Awakens art book, or the concept art book. Off memory. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I'm That's not surprised if they do reuse concept art across the films, because it gives it kind of a consistent look as well. Sure. Yeah. But I'm, so, I'm mostly just excited for Felicity Jones. I know, I know. She, uh, well, here, I'll, I'll say what I was going to say, and then go into Felicity yeah. Jones anyway. Um, did, so when I looked at this, I kept thinking that it reminds me of a video game. And I don't know if I'm getting that backwards. I don't know if I'm only saying that because it looks like Battlefront and Battlefront looks like Star Wars. But there were several scenes in this where my main thought was it has that like shaky cam and it has the over the shoulder shots, the shot where they're running through the, uh, I guess it's a, it's a subway station really. Um, it looks a lot like a video game and that, is dominating my thoughts about it for some reason. And I think it might be because I'm seeing a lot of Knights of the Old Republic influence, which is a weird choice for something that's not in that era at all. But it is... Uh, Felicity Jones' costume looks a lot like the basic Revan costume. And the droid reminds me a little bit of HK-47, just because he's a <laughs> droid, I guess. And just the way... That one image, it was so KOTOR, and it was it could be anything from, like, the lines on the floor are super geometric. Like, these are generic things. But, I don't know, did you get video game from this at all? I can kind of see where you're coming from. I didn't stray off the bat, but I think I was just so, like, in love with Jed that I was very distracted by that. But I can definitely see what you're saying. Um, it does kind of have that look to it. And I think that might also be partly because it's a Star Wars thing that is visual but not wait it's visual and it's ancillary and it's not a main film so it kind of has that feeling of being a video game because the other things we've seen in that type have either been the animated shows which are not as you know photorealistic or like real people without having uh i forgot what the word is being animated in a certain style like the kotor games and the old republic have more realistic humans even though they're really old graphics and they don't look realistic they kind of have that more realistic look to them than you know rebels and the clone wars do because they're very stylized that's what i was trying to say the rebels and the clone wars are stylized um and the fact that it's a movie <laughs> sorry the fact that it's a movie that we haven't had before we've only had main saga stuff that looks like main saga star wars it has that look to it it probably falls under the video game thing because that's what we know as the ancillary stuff that has movement huh. and isn't just a book or a comic? It could be. So so basically you're saying that I'm looking at it and seeing, oh, there's a visual difference, but what there really is is uh, sort of a uh, medium difference. Like, this is the first standalone Star Wars movie that we have. 
Yeah, and I could totally be wrong. I could totally just be making this up, which is entirely possible. But I think for me, that's kind of what I'm getting from it a bit. Yeah. No, you could be right, too, because I haven't... Um, it's hard for me to put a finger on what I feel is video gamey about it. So I, I might have wires crossed somewhere and just be like, what is this new Star Wars? But on the other hand, I certainly don't look at it and go, that doesn't look like the original trilogy. I, I think yeah. it does. It has that very grainy, filmy look to it. It's a lot of browns and blacks without being... Um, without being grim, which is interesting. I certainly don't look at this and go, that's a dark movie that I'm going to have to squint to see, you know? Yeah, I really like how they are managing to mix the kind of older look with the director's style within the new movies. Like, The Force Awakens definitely has Abram's style, but also it looks very Star Wars. And it's cool to see, even just in this teaser, that it looks Star Wars, but still you can see Gareth Edwards' style within the filming that's been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, have you got any other thoughts about the teaser? Um, I think that's it. So, well, well, Felicity Jones. Um, there was a lot of comparison to Katniss on the internet. Um, <laughs> a lot of it was me. Were... I'm not gonna lie. Uh, well, I mean, I saw some people sort of disparaging that and saying it looked too. I don't see. I don't even know how what they were really what point they were really trying to make because there are people saying oh she reminds me of Katniss and then not offering anything else just like assuming that's a bad thing which was not I wasn't gonna dig into that are they trying to um, say that like Star Wars is trying to copy the Hunger Games because it's so popular or something yeah (laughs) and I do see I think that she did remind me of Katniss in that she was very confident but very tightly contained like Katniss is sort of shell-shocked and Jin had that sort of um severity to her yeah yeah which which I like but I also have trouble latching on to and I'll, I'll say here too I love her costume I love that her costume is practical we see her in three different things and like she doesn't show skin too much she doesn't like slink around like she looks like a regular person you know and when when it is appropriate to do so yeah i love that and i mean for my thing because i think she like looks like katniss like i i kind of had that thing like oh my god she's kind of like katniss but that's really only aesthetically like especially in that last shot where she's in the the tie fighter uniform whatever it is um she it looks very much like katniss in her mockingjay outfit and she does have that kind of same severity and determination that katniss does but she already, I can see, like, because, you know, I love Katniss and I've analyzed her to death. Like, I can already pick out all the reasons why she is not like Katniss at all. Like, she has similarities, but she is not like her. <laughs> and so I I would honestly fight with anyone that, that is trying to use it as a reason to be like, oh, this is not good. Because Star Wars doesn't need to copy The Hunger Games to make a good film with the lady lead. We've already seen that. The Force Awakens already did that. Yeah, and I think it, it's so easy to say... It's trying to copy it because it has a female lead. And I'm like, that wouldn't be a problem if there were more movies with a female lead. Like, I think people are saying that because they're reacting badly to a movie with a female lead. And that's not, I'm not here for that. No, I'm never here for that. I I shut that stuff down instantly. The fact we've actually seen people complaining that it's another Star Wars movie with a lead lead. I'm like, you've already got six movies with dudes that lead the film. Like, yeah. you don't need every movie to be one of those. 
Yeah, I <laughs> at least wait until there have been like three or four of them, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, and I mean this one, this trailer focused on Felicity Jones's character, but like this movie looks like it's going to be quite an ensemble film. It it does, and I think it's so important to note that a lot of the ensemble is guys, which is actually something that, and I might have mentioned this before, I, I do wish there were more women, because the main character, and this didn't, it kind of happened with The Force Awakens, I th it would probably be a simplification to try to directly compare them, but this, if there are multiple female leads, they don't all have to represent women as a whole you know yeah you don't have to say this happens so this is what star wars says about women if there are a bunch of them it can say so many different things about people and like i i wish i sort of i hope eventually we will get to the point where we can where just having her be female is not extraordinary yeah i've been kind of having that problem because she looks like a great character and i've been saying this for like months Literally, I've been saying that Rogue One only having one woman, as even if she's the main character, is kind of a letdown because just because a lot of people say it's all about if you have one good female character, why do you need more than one? And it's like if we have one good male character, why do we need more than one? Why does male have to be the default? Like I, I am here for badly written small female roles. Like I'm here for <laughs> roles that are bad for any gender. Like it doesn't have to be dudes. The side characters don't all have to be dudes. It it just kind of frustrates me that it is the default and people just automatically go to that yeah i i agree yeah but i mean they they are trying to a point they could probably do more but it's nice to see that star wars has definitely changed since the older movies yes and i might do what i did with the force awakens which is attach myself to the female character with like the fewest lines which is phasma <laughs> and go this one. I choose this one. <laughs> and try and talk about her more because more people need to do that. And I mean, the films the films have been kind of a bit slower in the uptake, but the, the shows, like Rebels, is doing amazingly. Like, somebody pointed out that that Rebels has, like, you know, half the crew is female, and that Sabine is, like, clearly not white. Like, she's Pacific Islander or, like, Asian. She Like, it's ambiguous what she is, but she's clearly not white. Um... And that they need to kind of do that more in the films. So let's move on to Rebels. Yes. <laughs> because, yeah, the finale came out last week, right? It did. Um, last Wednesday, because this was our first, this is today, Thursday. But yesterday was the first Wednesday without Rebels in a while. Yeah, it was weird. Um, so, yeah, I did my review of this episode in a bit of a haze just like how do I put all my thoughts together and um basically I really liked it I was not a lot of my predictions came true and I didn't want them to come true specifically my predictions about the female characters yeah um but I I liked it I like this Darth Maul better than I ever liked the Darth Maul in the Clone Wars yeah same. and so, and I think that what it did with Ezra and what it did with Kanan was good. I think I gave it a four out of five. Yeah, that's fair. Overall, I really liked it. Like, I also, I had, like, a brief moment, because I was, I think I was messaging um, Jay, Admiral Jello, as I was watching it, because 
I didn't want to spoil people on Twitter. Um, and it got to the bit. Wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about spoilers? It's been a week, right? Um, yeah, it it has been a week. So let's say. I don't know. Did we spoil it already? I don't. <laughs> this is your. I don't. This think is your did. actual spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah, this is a spoiler warning. Um, if you haven't watched the Rebels episode yet, go watch it now. Sorry. I, I'm pretty sure we don't spoil anything. It's fine. I'm sorry if we did. Um, but anyway, spoilers. When the seventh sister got killed, and my first reaction was just like, "Why did they kill the lady? Why did they kill the lady? Yeah, What's happening?" Yeah. And then they killed the rest of them. I was like, "Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> They're all dead. It's fine." <laughs> See, yeah, equal opportunity death. But no, I um. <coughs> I predicted that the seventh sister would die and I didn't have a lot of rationale behind my predictions. Honestly, I kind of put that tweet out there just for fun. I didn't, couldn't have written you an essay about why I predicted each one, but really I basically predicted the seventh sister would die. Number one, because of Sarah Michelle Gellar's contract probably being expensive and probably being up, but number two, because she was the lady and I, I didn't have faith that they would not uh, sort of choose her for that. Although, you know, the others were killed also, so. Yeah, I kind of, because the Clone Wars definitely gave me trust issues when it came to female characters. Like, they're really good at bringing in female characters and writing really awesome female characters. They're also really good at killing them off all the time. Like, I, I at some point actually had a project where I was going through the Clone Wars and tallying up how many women they had and who, how many women died compared to how many men died compared to how many men were introduced. Um, and it was quite sad because you'd get like awesome female characters like Adi Galia who would have a really cool arc and then she would die. Um, or Stila Guerrera who would have a really cool arc and then she would die. Um, and so there was when- Soka's friend who was in an episode basically in order to die. The episode with the bounty hunters. Oh and the- yeah, uh, I forgot her name but that little Jedi girl. She was only in one episode. Yeah, and she was really cool. Yeah. Like they could have, they had like three or f- like two or three male Jedi Padawans that they could have killed instead, but no, they killed the girl. And I'm still like, ugh, like they did so good, but they also did so bad. And so when the seventh sister died, I had that gut reaction that they, of course, they killed the female character because that's what they always do. Um, but then the fact that they were killing all of the Inquisitors, it made a lot more sense that she would die as well. They couldn't just leave her alive, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just wish they'd killed like the the brother first, so that I wouldn't have had that reaction. And I hope that at some point we do reach a point with Star Wars stories that when the female character dies, I don't have that reaction because they've kind of they've stopped doing that and making it so obvious. Yeah, and that that's an important note because I think it's important to note that it's not that we don't want to see characters die or even see female characters die. Like death is part of the drama of a narrative. It's that this the main female character dies at the end happens so often. Yeah. That it's sorry. No, I mean, it's just sort of, it's predictable at this point. And that's why we get that like, uh, gut feeling thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a bit of a run here, but speaking of predictable, so many people beforehand were like, Ahsoka has to die in this episode. Like she's going to meet up with Vader. Vader's going to kill her. And for ages, I've been saying that's too predictable. That's too lazy. It's boring. It's not good writing. Ahsoka's not going to die because it's not good writing from, in my opinion, because there was no point to bring her into rebels just to kill her off at the end there. Like there was no point being like, Oh, Ahsoka's alive only to kill her like a few months later that it was, dumb in my opinion and so for ages I've been like Ahsoka's not going to die and so at the ending we see Ahsoka and Vader disappear under the Sith Temple when it closes and we don't know what happens you kind of assume that you know someone's gonna die it's not gonna be Vader because we know Vader can't die and he also can't be redeemed um but at the end you can see what looks like Ahsoka 
walking away into the Sith Temple with Vader limping off in the other direction, heading off somewhere, who knows where. Um, <laughs> so Darth Maul stole his ship. Yeah, like he's going to get home somehow, I guess. But we basically know that Ahsoka's alive, like in some form. We don't know how she is. We don't know how she is physically or emotionally. I mean, her best friend and hero, she just discovered he is like the most evil person in the galaxy. Like she's not going to come out of that unaffected. And because she said she wasn't going to leave him, but clearly she has, maybe she realized she couldn't save him, or maybe he said something to her to convince her to leave him. Um, we don't know. And I like the openness of that because we still know Ahsoka is alive, which, you know, I'm always here for because I love Ahsoka, but we also don't know where she is. Like, she's probably not going to come back into Rebels. She's going to have her own story elsewhere. She may or may not die before the original trilogy starts. We don't know. And I'm okay if she survives through that because she's not a Jedi. And so she doesn't clash with Luke being a Jedi. She's, they made it very clear she's not a Jedi. She could survive on in some form, become like some old lady who's just bitter about the world or something. We don't know. But <laughs> I, I'm always here for stories that have that openness and that kind of slight lack of closure because they give you the ability to kind of think on forwards instead of just being bitter about what happened. Like if Ahsoka had died there... I would have become the most bitter person in the world. I'm not going to lie. I would have been so angry and just so over everything because, like I said, I think it would have been terrible writing to kill her then. Um, and so I really liked the fact that the ending was so open with that. And she's gone. She's not in the story anymore. So we don't have to worry about her taking over. And Vader has probably moved on a little bit as well because he's like, damn, those, those guys really fucked me up. I'm sorry, I swore. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll do something about that. This is our R-rated episode. I think I think I'm allowed. I think I'm allowed one per episode. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, I got totally distracted because I just love Ahsoka so much. But yeah, I really <laughs> like the ending. A lot of people hated that, and I can also understand why the lack of closure would suck because Star Wars is largely about closure. There's a lot of closure within Star Wars. It tells you a lot. Like, there's a lot left open, but stories are generally very neatly ended yeah so i was not a big fan of the ambiguity of the ending and i i did see it as ambiguity and there's a couple of reasons for that um and first of all i want to say like i'm really excited for the ahsoka novel like i'm definitely interested in what else is happening to her i'm not complaining that she still exists but i think that there were two things that kind of frustrated me about this and one of them was more an out-of-universe reason which is and I didn't predict what was going to happen to her I didn't want to write like I predict this because what I thought was uh, Ahsoka is the teacher's pet she's Dave Filoni's favorite character she's a lot of fans favorite characters and while I love that so many people have rallied around the a female character that way I didn't trust Dave Filoni to be willing to let her go. And that's a weird feeling to have as a writer and as a female person looking at a male person writing a female character. Um, I felt like he sort of didn't have it or, or rather prioritized his own fondness for the character over the needs of the story. And I never really believe that she would not come out of that fight alive and that hurt me because I was looking at it from outside the universe um if that if you can separate inside the narrative from outside the narrative better than I can 
I that's I wish I could, but I I kind of can't. And um that sort of sort of bugged me. The the other thing I think was the fight itself. The dialogue between Ahsoka and Anakin was really good. There was that that bit that called forward to the Force Awakens. There was Ahsoka talking about how I'll never leave you. Like their dialogue was really pointed and really well done. But then they fight, they fight a little bit and they clash and then the door comes down and you don't see them. And I'm like, this is as much as Rebels is not supposed to be about these characters, and as much as Kanan and Ezra really own the story, and it makes sense that the story walks out with them, this is Darth Vader and Ahsoka. They're going to have weight no matter what you do. And I think that um, there was an interview posted where Dave Filoni talked about this. He didn't want them to distract from the story. And my thought was... They're gonna distract from the story. No matter what you do, they're a big weight. And therefore, I want to see what happened. And I also, I just wanted to see, because I thought it would be a cool lightsaber fight. And we never really get the answer to those questions. Like, did she beat him? Did he let her go? I, I feel like those answers would have been very important for those characters. Yeah, and I definitely understand that. Whereas I like not having the answers because then I can think about it. Like, I'm like, what did they do? Did they talk? Did they fight? Did she beat him? Did he beat her? Like, what happened? And I like asking those questions, which is how I personally like endings. But I also definitely see why people don't like that. Um, But I also, because the story does follow the ghost crew. Like, we never really see it go to anybody else. It doesn't tend to follow anyone else. Um, and so if it had stayed behind with Ahsoka and Vader, that would have been kind of weird convention-wise as well, which would have made it a bit harder. But also having Ezra and Kanan there while they fought would have been hard because then Ezra would have just run in to help Ahsoka because he's a, he's a, not a bright kid sometimes, and he just wants to <laughs> no. help everybody. Um, but actually, speaking of like female characters in Rebels, um, what did you think of the Sith Temple voice? I thought it was cool to see uh, it was Nika Futterman back, right? Yeah, yeah, who um, um, was Asajj. Yes, and she sounded exactly like Asajj. Um, <laughs> my first thought was, oh man, it's Asajj. No, it's really not. And then my thought was, oh, it's the Jedi Exile because this is Malachor and the Jedi Exile would have left like a wound in the Force here. Um, so, I mean, I liked it. I don't know... I don't really, like, believe it's the Jedi Exile. I don't know. I believe Dave Filoni said it was a new female Sith Lord, so that's cool, too. I don't think he ever um, stated it was new. He said it was... Um, oh, yeah, we he have... He made it ambiguous that, about whether or not it was He said it new. was... Because um, we, we talked about this. He said it was a custom-made or something. Because we were joking about how it could still be Revan because it was a customizable character. Yeah, I, I personally think it's Revan. And that's just because I really want a female Revan to be canonized. And also because, you know, a Sith going off and creating a massive weapon is very Revan-like. So I'm so like, it could be her. I would be happy with it being either one. Yeah, me too. Having either of those characters become important in the canon in some way would be really cool. Like how we saw Darth Bane come in in um, The Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. And Nika Futterman as Revan would be fine. Like, she obviously has a you know, considerable range as Ventress, so I'd be there for that. 
Yeah, yeah. I would definitely be keen to see that. And hopefully, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get more on this temple, but I'm sure we will one day because Star Wars very much likes going back towards weird little things like that. Like, even if we don't get it in Rebels, we'll get it in something else later on. And um, the fact that, like, sorry, the fact that Dave Filoni said that he needed to, like, check with other people before he could make it clear who it was or something made me think that it could be somebody we know of in some way. Like, I don't know. It could be a totally new character and he's just messing with us, which is what he does. But it could also be a Sith that we know of previously in some way. Um, it, it could. I wonder, I kind of want to sidestep that a little and say that he might have had to check with the story group because they had an idea about the ancient Sith that was not directly, like it's not literally Revan, but it's similar to Revan. Yeah, and that's also possible. Yeah. Which is the sort of thing they were doing with Malachor. And I really, I just wanted to mention of, like, the the uh, Star Forge or, like, the, the forced destruction that went on in Malachor because I like the Jedi Exile story a lot. Yeah, it's really cool. And Malachor is really cool. I'm glad they brought Malachor in. And also, like, had the thing with the, um, the Jedi and the Sith fighting because it kind of was reminiscent of the fact that everybody got killed by the weapon. It's sort of reminiscent of um, the Thought Bomb, which is in the Darth Bane books which is basically the Sith create this bomb of, like, force energy and, like, thoughts or something. And it basically, it kills everyone. It kills the Sith, it kills the Jedi, and it basically starts the Rule of Two with Darth Bane. Um, and when I saw, like, all of the Jedi and the Sith kind of frozen to stone, it gave me feelings of that. And I kind of hope that that did kind of have some echoes of that story, because that is very cool, and it's something that never really gets mentioned. And having an ancient, like, Sith temple that is also open, and having, like, destruction on Malachor. It's all kind of tying in legend stuff without making any legend stuff true. Yes, and you could very easily say, okay, we're going to combine the some of the ideas in the Thought Bomb and some of the ideas in, in the Jedi Exile and Malachor and just, com- and just combine them. And that would be, you know, reasonable. Yeah, and I'm liking it. I'm liking the way that they're not disparaging legends but they're also not they're they're taking new steps and doing new things with the old material which is exactly what I wanted out of this new canon yeah I would agree did you see there were some people theorizing that the Sith temple was actually the base or the core of the uh, Starkiller base no but haven't they like confirmed that Starkiller base was uh the planet in the Clone Wars where they go and get the crystals? I I thought that the crystals were definitely part of it, but I don't know that I that I saw that they confirmed it was a certain planet. Maybe they did and I didn't see it. I feel like, I can't remember what the planet's called now. I just said it like the other day because I was telling this to somebody else, but I'm pretty sure someone, and my and Pablo did say that it was that planet. I could be totally wrong. I might have dreamed it, but I have a feeling that it is true. Oh gosh, we'll have to look this up. It's not Ilum, is it? Yeah, it's Ilum. That's the name. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. That's interesting. I could be totally wrong, but I think that might be a thing. Um, Yeah, so as well as, like, you know, Ahsoka and Vader having their thing, we also had Darth Maul pop up, which was really interesting because he's totally a different character, kind of, to how he was in the Clone Wars. Um, I really like how he was. Like, I agree with you. You said that you liked him more in this than you have in other things. Me too. I really love Darth Maul in this. Yeah, I, I still think he talks too much, but um, <laughs> his, 
his motivation made a lot more sense in this to me, and it, partially because he was he had a lot of exposition. He outright said, "I hate the Sith because they took my family, they took my found family, they took my other found family." <laughs> he has just not had a good time, and you can understand why he has just sort of seethed and gotten angrier and angrier and just decided he is literally going to fight the entire galaxy. And um, that was more interesting to me than the sort of scattered warlord Darth Maul that we saw in the Clone Wars. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. I'm definitely digging him being more in the middle, kind of like Ahsoka. Like, it was interesting seeing him in Ahsoka because he was very much a Sith and then he kind of he kind of walked away from that after everything went wrong with the Sith. The same way that Ahsoka used to be a Jedi and she walked away from that after everything went wrong. Like, they both have kind of moved away from that and become a bit more neutral, even if they're, you know, Darth Maul's still evil and Ahsoka's still good kind of thing, but they're a lot closer in ground than they used to be and seeing them fight together was really cool. And also seeing um, the way he talked to Ezra, because he was kind of... I don't, like, he didn't know, but he was very much expanding on what Ahsoka had said. Ahsoka said, you need to know your enemy so you can fight your enemy. He was saying, you need to know your enemy and then gain their power to fight your enemy. So, it's very clear why Ezra kind of got confused and understood that what Maul was saying could mean something to him. It's, young kids are very impressionable. And I assume young kids with the Force, because the dark side is, like, a literal physical thing. I mean, it's not physical, but it's a literal spiritual thing that pulls at people, and it's always there. And teenagers already have enough angst. Like, they don't need some actual dark force to be coming along and be like, hey, you should be evil to make everything <laughs> worse. Um, and, I mean, it, it was kind of obvious that at some point Ezra was going to brush with the dark side because they've kind of been hinting at it throughout the seasons. And so it was interesting seeing the way that Darth Maul kind of managed to manipulate Ezra. He's very much got that Palpatine manipulation. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of um, showing why Ezra thought the way he did. And the, the line that I really loved was Darth Maul says he wants revenge. And sort of without skipping a beat, Ezra says, yeah, I want justice. And how the, those two things can be confused could be a really interesting sort of thesis of that sort of pseudo-master-apprentice relationship. Yeah, and um, I've... Sorry. <laughs> um, no, go ahead. I've said before that Anakin and Ezra have a lot of uh, parallels, and that's really similar as well. That Anakin wanted justice, but in a way he also wanted revenge without really realizing it. Like, he wanted revenge under the guise of justice, and I think Ezra is kind of in a similar position now. Like, he knows he knows in his heart that he wants justice, and he wants things to be better for people, but also he has that reaction to strike back. Yeah, and maybe he <laughs> doesn't always know what really bringing justice means to him. I like that you said that Maul almost reminded you of Ahsoka because I think that Maul definitely does have that sort of manipulation, but he does it in a very different way from Sidious. And if you, I think if they had tried to make this character a young Sidious, it would have diluted him and it wouldn't have really been true to him because Darth Maul is not that smart, frankly. I, I mean, he's. (laughs) eloquent he's well spoken but i don't think that being a strategist is really one of the things in his arsenal um he's very straightforward but he was straightforward in the way he was almost honest with ezra on he was honest about wanting an apprentice and there was that interesting bit where he could have let ezra 
fall off the cliff and didn't. And that was a really tensely done scene. That was a really well done scene because the entire time I thought he was going to grab the holocron and let Ezra drop. But the fact he didn't, mm-hmm. like, did he actually want, I guess he does want to help Ezra because he wants him to be his apprentice. But he also helped to foster that trust within Ezra. So when Kanan and Ahsoka questioned him, Ezra's like, no, no, I trust him. He saved my life. Like, it was a very smart move on his point, on his part, whether or not he intended it to be in that way. And it was just such a good scene. Like, there's so many good parts of this episode that I just love. And the fact they brought in Darth Maul. Like, people are mad because Darth Maul just doesn't die. He's in everything. He will not leave. (laughs) But he worked. a new Ventress. Yeah, basically. But he worked really well for this part. Um... Yeah, so what did you think of um, Kanan's arc? I liked it. I thought that Kanan has gone from someone who's not entirely sure about his own abilities to be a teacher to someone who is very set in his ways as a teacher and who has his methods and is still, you can tell he never was a Jedi Knight before. He's still learning, but he obviously cared so much about Ezra in this episode and he never fell into, like, the old mentor role. Like, if anyone was the Obi-Wan in this, which we could really unpack that in reference to Darth Maul, but it was Ahsoka was the Obi-Wan character. Kanan was, isn't quite that old mentor character, but he still works really well as a teacher. I was very surprised that he was blinded, but then I thought, that's perfect. You know, I, I didn't expect them to kill him off, but to irrevocably change him, it was a really good move, I thought. Yeah, that's what I always like, because killing someone off is, it's kind of easy to do, but to actually change them as a character and then have to work through that is always really interesting to see. And I think it kind of also reflects in the way that through the episode, he was kind of blind to what Ezra needed. Um, And he has been for a while. Like, at times he's really good, like, he'll talk to Ezra and work through things with him, but the last few episodes, Ezra will be like, trust me, and he'll kind of hesitate before that, or... He'll say yeah. something and Ezra, it'll kind of grate against Ezra and he won't entirely realize that, which is a very Jedi Master thing to do with their Padawans, if we're totally honest. Um, he's definitely living that tradition down. So it is kind of interesting that he got very, blinded. Very, very old Republic Jedi thing to do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's interesting he got blinded physically and he's going to have to work through that physically as well as maybe emotionally, especially with Ezra potentially falling to the dark side now that he's actually opened that holocron and is apparently thinking like a Sith, which... I find interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that I didn't really expect them to go that far. I figured, I, I half expected Ezra to walk off with Darth Maul at the end of the season. But him being in the ghost and being among his family, essentially, but having this ability that we've been told is only open to Sith is, like, even scarier. Because it's sort of his own volition now. Yeah, and I think... In a way, I'm kind of liking it because I've kind of talked before a little bit about how Ezra's journey has kind of reflected a child going through depression. Like, there's that point um, in the Jedi Temple when he first talks to Yoda, and he's saying to Yoda that he feels alive. Like, the ghost crew have helped him feel alive, um, and he's never felt that before. And that's very reminiscent of someone moving through depression. Um, This is also kind of similar in the way that, you know, you can be with your family and they can love you and you know that and there's still like that dark side kind of pulling at you. And I think that's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where Ezra goes with this, whether or not he actually turns fully dark, which I think won't happen because he's the main character of a children's show and them going fully dark would be a very strange move. But I'm curious to see how far he will go before he gets brought back. 
Yeah, and now we're going to have him struggling with that and Kanan struggling physically to learn, you know, how to how to live with being blinded. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting season. Yeah, what do you think will happen um, with, like, Zeb and Hera and Sabine? Oh, man. Well, I... Hera's story was so quiet this season, but I kind of loved how she developed in the second to last episode. I like that she opened up a little bit, and I think we'll see a lot more between her and Kanan. I hope we do anyway. Um, There were definitely... That kind of leads me into... There were definitely some things at the end of this season that I went going... Well, I wanted more of this at the beginning and I never really got it and like more of what the Hera Kanan relationship actually is was one of those things. Yeah. Um but I, I liked her in general. I think that Zeb and Sabine I, I like that they brought uh, brought Katsu back at the end. Um Zeb and Sabine are both like they're they're stable. They kinda have the least going on right now. So I'm not sure I'm not sure I would be able to predict uh, another arc for them, really. Yeah, I agree. I think I want to see more Sabine because I love what we've seen of her, but we kind of did have a bit of a backstory with the Mandalorians. It would be cool if they went to Mandalore at some point, but I'm not sure they'll ever actually touch that. Um, And yeah, Zeb kind of has had his Lassat thing. Like, he can kind of just chill out in the background now and just kind of be there, be the support character. And I remember when season two started, or before it started, they said we were going to get more Sabine and more Hera, and we did get more Hera, but at the same time, we didn't really get any Hera. Like you said, like her development was very quiet. It was, <laughs> and I have such mixed feelings about that because part of me, I, I wrote a whole article about how her story was about learning to open up yeah. and learning to say what she meant. But on the other hand, there's something extremely fishy about how your main female character, your leader of the team, has embedded in her character the fact that she's quiet. Like, that's... I, I almost wonder if there's sort of an excuse there to make her not be as important as she could have been otherwise. So I'm always looking for more Hera. Yeah, like, I'm always here for subtle storytelling, but you do have to question why, yeah, your main female, like, leader character doesn't say anything or isn't there anytime. I get that she's the pilot, but also you could find stories that could include her still without having to like leave her behind so she's not even there for an episode because it is quite it, it is questionable and i like i do trust the writing crew to do well with female characters but at the same time i also don't because they've done good things and they've also done bad things and i love Hera so much but like i love Sabine more because we've gotten a lot more of Sabine and her character has actually grown within the story in really obvious ways and so I love Sabine so much I didn't care about Sabine when Rebel started like I was like okay she's cool she's cool looking but she's not my kind of character Hera's my kind of character but Hera has kind of fallen back with the crew because I don't know her as a person yeah it's really hard and I as much as I do think Hera is still my favorite of the of Hera and Sabine because I think it's just a little easier for me to see from her perspective um we haven't gotten all that much from her perspective, and that's it's difficult to get attached to a character when you never really feel like the writing is inside their head yeah i I agree, and I hope that with Kanan kind of having to work through his blindness, we'll see him and Hera interact more because she is the kind of person that would be able to help him through that like she is she's if she's not his like 
romantic interest or whatever, like partner, they're at least best friends. Like they're really closely bonded. Um, and so she would be the person that would be able to help him through that. Absolutely. Yeah. So last thing on Rebels, um, what do you think about that owl that keeps appearing? <laughs> I have an unpopular opinion about the owl, which is that it doesn't mean anything. And it's just <laughs> there to, to seem like it has some symbolism to it and but maybe that just could be because i haven't come up with anything so i'm going oh it's dumb it doesn't mean anything because i don't <laughs> but like i don't know i uh I, we saw it one time on the other planet and we saw it this time and i i, I didn't get anything from it frankly i got oh that's kind of weird and that's like an attempt to be artsy but i couldn't put any of the dots together what did you think I had, like, I spent, like, a day trying to figure it out. Because I like analyzing stuff, and I like figuring out symbolism. But I was like, I don't know what this means. Like, what does an owl mean? It means things. I don't know. Like, I couldn't figure it out. And then I did read that one thing that somebody thought it might be um, the daughter, like, reincarnated. Because, you know, as the daughter spirit from um, the Mortis trilogy in the Mortis arc, rather, in the Clone Wars, when they go to Mortis and Ahsoka dies, basically. And so the daughter puts her spirit inside of Ahsoka to keep her alive, which means that the good side of the Force in the Force planet oh. area gets, like, destroyed. And basically, it's Ahsoka. Like, she's kind of internalized that a little bit. Which, maybe that's why she didn't die. She she can't die, maybe. I mean, Actually, that I, that's true. I'd forgotten that bit about how she is, like, possessed by the spirit of the Force. Yeah, and the owls kind of have a similar looking scheme to the daughter. Like, they've kind of got the white and green look about them. So I am wondering if it's sort of a link to the Mortis arc and a link to the fact the daughter is inside of Ahsoka. Because we see it with Ahsoka on that planet, like, right before she appears, we see the owl circling. Um, I think... I can't remember what they were called, sorry. Um, and then we also see it at the end, like, with Darth Vader. It's watching him walk off, I think. And it would be kind of an interesting link with Mortis if that is the case. But I don't know if we'll ever get that explained within Rebels or if it'll just be a thing that is there and then kind of just never gets answered. So if the owl is sort of a separate entity from Ahsoka and Ahsoka herself is walking away, does that mean that Ahsoka is is dead or that her like soul has been split or something? That would be really interesting. I wonder if like she does somehow represent the good side of the force. Like not not in the way that she has to balance the force, because obviously we know that's what Luke is going to do. Um, but that she kind of represents that balance in some way. Hmm. And I mean, in that case, that the end of the good side of the force, essentially looking after Vader, is actually a really powerful image. Yeah, and also the good side of the force walking away at that point would be really interesting. Like, if she does represent that spirit in some way, the fact that she's walking away and walking down into the shadows and leaving, essentially, kind of foretells darker times. Kind of in the same way, like, because she has been, um, Filoni did say that she was kind of like Gandalf in a way, that she would kind of come along and then disappear. She's kind of like Gandalf in this part, that everybody thinks she's dead, but she's not. She's just left, and maybe she'll become stronger and come back at another time, or she'll learn more and become, you know, like a better person who's more kind of balanced in a way like how Gandalf becomes Gandalf the White um like it, it's gonna be interesting seeing what they do with her because I agree with you that I think Filoni might be hesitant to kill her off but I think he also might have a plan for when in particular she's going to die and is just not yet 
certainly could be. Yeah. But yeah, so have you got any other thoughts on Rebels? I don't think so. Um, overall, I think season two could have done some things better, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it was quite, it was kind of a slow season, I think, ramping up to season three. Yeah, I guess it, it didn't improve on season one's weaknesses. Any weakness that season one had, season two almost made worse a little bit. <laughs> but also, there were some really good things, too. They were just additions, not necessarily things that grew naturally from the what had been set up before. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm, I'm excited for the next season, but I also hope that they do improve on those things. Yeah. yeah. And I want more about, like, life of the Inquisitors. Oh my god, yeah. I want that so bad. <laughs> why are they, why are they numbered? I need to know. What does it mean? But yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So yeah, that's us for this week, um, this fortnight i guess rather um we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode thank you so much to toshi station for hosting us um where can we find we can we we can they find us megan we can find us at um i'm at blog full of words on twitter you can find us at toshi state toshi underscore station on twitter as well i write for den of geek i have an article out in the latest star wars insider and I write for DelrayStarWars.tumblr.com. Yeah, and also, if you have time, you should definitely go read Megan's article on Hera because it is a really good article to read. It made me kind of relook at the season a little bit more. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, and you can also hear me podcasting at Making Star Wars Analysis Podcasting, um, Toshi Stations of Dyson Droids, and also Firefighter Radio's Rogue Podron. And also you can hear both of us at our new podcast with Paul Herman, who we used to podcast with at Forcecast, at Blaster Cannon Podcast, which is a Den of Geek podcast. And that's Cannon with one N. Yeah, because we are witty like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you for listening to us this week. Don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Yeah.